0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge of Wharton. Burnout has become one of the most talked about workplace topics, and its impact is far-reaching. The 24-7 pace of work and scant resources can easily put busy professionals on a path to burnout, a cycle that is only accelerated during the COVID-19 pandemic. Burnout affects the health and well-being of the entire organization, yet most attempts to help focus on quick-fix strategies aimed at individuals. Something's missing. In Beating Burnout at Work, Why Teams Hold the Secret to Well-Being and Resilience, Paula Davis, founder of the Stress and Resilience Institute, explores a new solution to the burnout problem at work. A comprehensive approach focused on building the resilience of teams of all sizes. Davis argues that teams and their leaders are uniquely positioned to create the type of cultures that are needed to prevent burnout. I'm Brett Lagerato, senior editor at Warren School Press. I sat down with Davis to talk about her book, her own burnout story, and how to start on the path to resilience and thriving. Congrats on the publication of your book, Beating Burnout at Work. Um, I just wanted to first ask, what made you want to write the book?
1: Thank you so much. Uh, I'm really excited about it. Um, This has been a long time in the making and I I really wanted to write it ever since I burned out during what became the last year of my law practice. So um, it it was really an event that happened that I didn't know what it was and really impacted me in a lot of different ways. And so I've always been wanting to help busy professionals recognize the warning signs and not go down the same path that i did
0: a big part of the book is your own experience with burnout as a lawyer as you just discussed Um, but i was wondering if you could take us through that uh burnout a a bit more and and also how it helped inspire you to help others manage stress and resilience
1: so there were three big warning signs that i missed when i was going through this process Uh, so the the first one was that I was chronically, physically, and emotionally exhausted, and because I didn't know what was happening at the time, I I really didn't know what to look for, but this was definitely a big one. So, no matter what I did on the weekends to try and recover, nothing seemed to work, and so. I absolutely hated Sunday nights because I would stare at the clock on the wall thinking if I could just freeze time, I won't have to go in to work and become more exhausted this week because I'm not even recovered from like last week and the week before. So that was a big one. Um, The second big warning sign that I missed is that I uh, was chronically cynical. So people just started to really bug me and that's not my usual personality. And I noticed that uh, especially with my clients, um, outwardly I was very professional in all of my dealings with them, but inwardly there was a lot of eye rolling going on, right? So I would think to myself, like, do we really have to talk about this issue? Can you solve this on your own? And that was really um, not a good way to think because my job as a lawyer was to was to help real estate clients solve really complex challenges with their deals. Um, and then lastly, I just uh, started to notice that I was becoming more ineffective. So not in my ability to be a good lawyer, but really starting to lose my confidence in terms of seeing a path forward for myself and the profession. And that led to a lot of why bother? Who cares? Like, why am I doing this? Am I really making an impact? Um, and again, with my clients it was like, you know, you're not going to listen to my advice. So, you know, why bother? Who cares? And uh, what's interesting is that, once I finally got out of my law practice and started to research burnout, those three big warning signs that I missed are actually the three main symptoms of burnout. So as soon as I realized that, I, I, I understood more about, about what was going on and then just really felt called to help other busy professionals um, in some way not have to go through the same process because my burnout lasted almost a year and it got, it progressed to a really bad place. So I I was getting panic attacks on almost a daily basis and uh, I was in the emergency room twice because I had stomach aches that were so bad from the stress that I couldn't actually stand up. And so uh, I realized at that point that some big changes had to happen and I just really don't want people to even get anywhere near that point. And so being able to help people just understand a little bit more about what burnout is and give them some tools to help. And then also, you know, start talking to leaders and organizations so that culturally we can look at, you know, what cultural factors at work are causing this problem. Um, That's another part as well.
0: What you just talked about um, kind of brings up the unique method you have for approaching dealing with burnout at work and, and starting with the culture and teams. Um, so why do you think it's so important to, to focus on teams as the key antidote?
1: So what was interesting to me when I first started down this path is that I placed a lot of blame on myself. I thought to myself, wow, like I had missed some sort of stress management strategy. Um, there was something kind of about my wiring or something must have been missing with my personality that caused me to, to burn out. And so I, I really started looking at the issue through very much an individual lens. And as I dug into the research and as I continued to talk to more and more people who had experienced burnout I started to understand that it's really a systemic issue. So um, yes, there are there are ways that individuals can get better at managing their stress, and that can move the needle a little bit. But it's really more of a complex issue that also involves how you interact with your leaders and the style of leadership that that leaders in your organization bring. And then also just you know globally from an organizational level different factors that are going on that can give rise to um, burnout being more likely in an organization where can we focus in in this you know kind of continuum at this workplace continuum to, to help move the needle forward and that's how I identify teams teams are really um, little mini systems they are little mini cultures that exist within the larger workplace organization and they're much more malleable um, there are a lot of tools and techniques that I can teach to leaders and to teams and individuals who make up teams to help them create the kind of culture that really either prevents or um, slows down burnout. And so that made me really excited to start digging into that to that intersection and realizing that it was really, I think, kind of an untapped area of um, review uh, when it came to sort of the application of burnout. And, you know, obviously with with COVID happening, um, you know we're all working from home, and so I think the future of work is going to be some version of a blended, virtual, and you know within a physical space work environment. Teams are going to be critical to helping organizations really manage, I think, all of the complexity that's going to be happening at work going forward.
0: So I want to talk about your primed model for team success. Can you quickly walk us through? each component of that model and explain why it's so important for uh, in the fight against burnout? Uh,
1: So the primed model was really um, the result of me just looking at dozens, if not hundreds of research studies, looking at if we're going to talk about helping teams sort of build the positive cultures that they need to to slow down burnout what are the ingredients uh, that teams really have to focus on in order to make that happen to build resilience to build thriving to build the sense of well-being and positive culture that we know can either slow down or reverse uh, burnout and so uh, primed is the acronym that i created from from reviewing that research and just talking with all of the teams that i've worked with so the p is uh Psychological safety and psychological needs. So the P is really the foundation of um, building resilient and thriving teams. And so teams have to be able to develop trust. So that's the psychological safety, trust at the team level. And then psychological needs are autonomy, belonging, and competence. So we all need to feel as though we have some sort of say or control over our day and over our work. We need to feel like we are part of a team or part of a group that matters to us, that we feel like we belong and that we feel like we're supported. And then competence is just simply feeling like we're progressing toward goals that are important to us and that we feel like we are um, becoming successful in the type of professional that that we want to be. And so there's just loads of research that shows when you have these two components present, um, you see more motivation, higher levels of well-being, higher levels of resilience, lower levels of attrition, higher morale, a whole host of outcomes that are really important to whether burnout happens. Um, The R in the primed model is relationships. So it is really hard to get to a sense of resilience and engagement and well-being if you don't have good relationships and a good support network. The I is about impact. So do you feel like you are making an impact in your work? Do you feel like you're influencing the greater good or the world around you? And do you derive a sense of meaning and satisfaction from your work? The M is about mental strength or mindset. So this is often very much an overlooked factor when it comes to creating high-performing and resilient teams in these positive cultures And we have to really uh, take a step back and think about um, both individually at a leadership level and then collectively at the team, uh, how are we thinking about obstacles and stressors and challenge and change? And so there's a lot of great techniques to help us kind of increase our individual and collective mental strength. The E is about energy. So this is how you just deal with stress within the team. Do you talk about stress? Um, Do you create a sense of positive energy? I know when I talk to teams, this is one of the biggest areas of issue in that um, we're oftentimes so busy with our own work that we don't pay attention to or recognize signs of overload um, with our team members. And so we have to start paying attention to that. And then the D is one of my favorites. So this is design. So this uh, is the area where. If you as a team realize, you know, wow, there's some tweaks that we need to be made that we need to make, or there's some changes that we want to kind of make within the culture of our team, we can actually do that. We can design it. There are different ways, different strategies that teams can use to redesign kind of how their little cultures and their little systems function. And so collectively, um, this model really paints a wonderful picture um, and a pathway, m- multiple pathways to help teams build these positive cultures and resilience
0: one of my favorite concepts from the book is what you call tnts or tiny noticeable things can you explain the concept and and how they help prevent burnout
1: sure Um, i love the acronym tnt tiny noticeable things and one of the things that i realized early on if i was going to be talking to leaders or teams or anybody within an organization Just given how busy everybody is and the complexity and the globalization and just the fast-pacedness of work these days, I had to really make the techniques and the tools um, really user-friendly. And so I think of them as TNTs or tiny noticeable things, meaning that they're really small you might even think of them as like wow, this, this is super simple. I didn't realize it would have such a such a tremendous outcome but these are these are just small strategies that individuals uh, leaders and teams themselves can start to deploy that really lead to big downstream um, outcomes when it comes to building well-being and positive cultures and resilience. So one very basic example is just saying thank you more. So when we are thanked, it's not just about gratitude. We feel really supported. It actually helps to build psychological safety in some of these other capacities in a way that we might not think about. So, um, so, so thinking in terms of kind of small, these tiny, noticeable things, um, I think can help frame to and reframe for people that that making these little changes doesn't have to be hard and is something that's they're really easy to do.
0: The book covers burnout issues in a lot of different teams, from law to tech to military, different industries. Um, So two of your examples in the book come from the Mayo Clinic and the U.S. Army. Can you talk about their different ways to take a comprehensive approach to stress and well-being?
1: Yes, because I think that, you know, when you start to hear holistic or comprehensive approach, it can seem rather daunting. And I think that's one of the reasons why organizations sometimes pause and just revert back to some of their individual focused programs because they're just easy to roll out and they're easy to deal with. And so I wanted to provide uh, folks within organizations of two examples of of really big organizations who have taken um, some very specific steps in that sort of systemic or holistic way to address well-being and burnout and resilience in different ways. And so um, the Mayo Clinic has been focused on this for a number of years in developing um, a very specific model that helps to educate leaders, that really gives frontline workers, leaders, and teams the tools that they need um, and measures progress with some of the strategies that they've implemented in service of um, lowering burnout rates within Mayo, because the burnout rate within healthcare generally is astronomically high. And so that obviously has a lot of really important implications for not only providers, but also patients in terms of safety issues and things. So, so the Mayo Clinic has um, implemented very specific strategies, and they've seen some really great outcomes. Um also, and kind of taking a little bit of a different approach was the United States Army. And so this was actually a program that I had a, the great privilege to be part of working in. Um, but this was really, uh, you know, General Casey at the time taking a look at the overall mental health of the troops and saying, wow, we really need to up our game and prioritize mental health in the same way that we have always prioritized physical health. And so, uh, General Casey called up the folks at the University of Pennsylvania and said, Hey, you know, could you create a resilience training program for us, not just to educate our senior leaders, our senior non commissioned officers and officers about this topic, but let's take it a step further so that they can be trained to actually teach these strategies to their lower ranking soldiers back in their units. And so, they wanted to really carry that forward. So, it wasn't just educating, it was also then let's teach these people how to teach other people these skills and strategies. And so the program was very successful Um, collectively as a training team um, over about five or six years, we trained about 40,000 soldiers in these skills and the program I think is now housed in a little bit of a different way within, within the army, but it's still an ongoing um, training that happens. Um, uh, I helped to pilot a program to um, give these skills and tools to spouses of the soldiers, which was um, a really, really meaningful extension of the program, and I believe now there may even be courses for teens. So they're they're trying to address you know these skills from the perspective of um, kids of the soldiers, and then also there are briefings for at the executive level, at the at the at the highest of levels, so that leaders especially really continue to understand the importance of these these strategies and tools. So while while both of these efforts you know certainly have taken some time and you know you have to be very intentional, um, they've both noticed um, you know tremendous success from their efforts.
0: So you started uh, writing this book in early 2020. Um, you talked about it a little before but the world has changed quite a bit since. Um, So how has and will COVID-19 impact people's experiences with burnout and, um, you know, specifically at work, um, how does it affect things going forward?
1: Yeah, it's been it's been quite a unique um, challenge and very interesting to be writing a book about burnout in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, as you mentioned, when when I first started writing the book, um, this was not on our radar. And I don't think anyone really saw this happening. Uh, You know, and so to see kind of, you know, how the stress impacted people kind of in the early stages compared to how people are really feeling right now that we're just about a year into the pandemic, um, I think people are really just experiencing um, not only a lot of stress, but there's so much uncertainty and anxiety and ambiguity still around the situation. And so I have already seen certainly, um, you know, elevated, just anecdotally elevated for sure levels of exhaustion with people, this chronic physical and emotional exhaustion is starting to set in. Um, but I think we have to you know, caution ourselves and say, there's also a lot we don't know in terms of how this is going to manifest with burnout rates. So in, in my book, I include burnout rates for a whole host of different professions, but they were all pre-COVID. So we have that data kind of going into the pandemic, but I think we're gonna need some good research studies and to really um, you know, take an empirical look at um, you know, supporting some of the anecdotal evidence that we see about um, you know, increased levels of burnout. So I certainly, I can, I can say pretty confidently, I don't, I don't think burnout is gonna be um, lower <laughs> than it was pre-pandemic. I think we're definitely looking at at least rates at the same, if not higher levels, um, but we wanna make sure that we collect data on that to support that.
0: There are tons of lessons, takeaways in the book. Um, but if you had to, you know, pick one thing, one lesson that you hope readers take away with them, um, what would that be? I really,
1: I really think that the the big sort of message is kind of the aha that I had as I was, you know, learning about burnout and kind of, you know, uh, educating myself about what this is. And that um, just globally, burnout is a systemic issue. So I know that so many people put a lot of blame on themselves individually and feel like they can't say anything about it if they feel like they're burning out at work um, and that it is definitely a system wide problem with system-wide causes that needs system-wide strategies, again, which is why I wanted to focus on teams sort of being these little mini systems within the bigger organizations. So, so just recognizing that, yes, your individual wiring and, and personality traits and things like that do play into um, the burnout equation but it's a much bigger issue from a leadership and an organizational standpoint. And so so when we can start to kind of look at the problem in this holistic way, I think now we can all open our eyes and figure out and implement um, specific strategies that will actually start to help the issue.
0: Finally, if someone is listening to this today and struggling with burnout, um, what's one thing you would tell them to do today right after listening even to kind of start down the path to thriving and resilience
1: so i think the biggest thing that i would say to somebody would be to have them say something uh and it depends it you know burnout exists on a spectrum on a continuum so it depends on kind of where you are uh, on the continuum or the spectrum but if it is you know just simply telling a significant other or a friend that you're feeling the sense of Chronic stress and overwhelm at work. Whether it is talking to a mental health professional or your healthcare provider, well, sending or sending me an email and, and I can have a conversation with you and we can sort it out. Um, whether it's talking to a trusted colleague or a leader. Um, at work. And and simply, I think it's also, we got to get better at looking out for each other, especially in this virtual environment. We're all living in a very different and a weird way than we're designed to live as human beings. And so the impact um, is hitting people differently um, depending on their unique situations. And I think that just saying something and taking five minutes to reach out to a colleague or everyone on your team to just check in and say, hey, how are you doing? You know, like, this has nothing to do with business. I'm just really interested in hearing how you're doing and just making sure. And not doing that like once every nine months, but but really making that a regular habit, I think, is something that is really, really important. And I give a, a specific strategy in the book to help folks actually craft the, that type of conversation if they want to have it. But I know I would have appreciated um, somebody taking an interest in um, back when I was burning out, just checking in with me to see how I was doing. Um, and it's one of the most consistent things I hear in the either in the workshops that I teach or or with the people who I talk to one on one, that they either wish somebody had said something to them or they feel okay, but they're concerned about somebody else and they want to have that conversation. So I think that you know those conversations can sometimes maybe feel a little uncomfortable, but I think, Um, just given the state of the world, we have to push through that discomfort a little bit and um, put ourselves out there and have the conversation. Because I I really think, especially again in this unique time, um, it can have a really profound effect on how somebody is just dealing with the world right now. So that would be my biggest piece of advice and takeaway.
0: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.